Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to hour number two of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and producer Gabby Burke in for Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond on this Thursday after Ash Wednesday, the second day of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Now, even Lent... Even though it's underway, if you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, it is still not too late, folks. You can absolutely do it this morning. All you have to do is go to relevantradio.com slash Lent. On Thursdays, I always take a moment to remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, during this Eucharistic revival that our bishops have called for, try to visit the Blessed Sacrament today sometime if you get a chance or at least make a spiritual communion uh, with our Lord for a few moments. And we, we're so blessed uh, here at uh, Relevant Radio at our uh, national headquarters. We have this absolutely magnificent, beautiful chapel where we can stop by uh, for just a, a short moment and make a, a short visit uh, with our Lord Jesus, uh, truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity inside of the Blessed Sacrament anytime during the day. And uh, when you stop by and visit our Lord, maybe you can uh, pray this short little prayer that Father Rocky prays. I wish my Lord to receive you with the purity, humility, and devotion with which your Holy Mother received you with the spirit and the fervor of the saints. Uh, it's just a, a beautiful little prayer. And again, a, a visit to our Lord doesn't have to be a very long, just a, a short little visit. You can just say something as simple as uh, thank you, uh, Jesus. want to bring in uh, Glenn once again. Hey, Glenn, uh, what are uh, a few of the uh, big stories uh, still making headlines here this hour on uh, this Thursday morning? Well, good morning, John. Sad news out of a, a happy time, a celebration of the Super Bowl victory in Kansas City, uh, just marred by mass violence yesterday afternoon, a, a shooting injured 22, killing one in 11 children among those that were injured, three people in custody, at least one of whom was tackled by uh, bystanders, and uh, people were running literally for their lives there, about a million gathered in Kansas City to celebrate yesterday afternoon, uh, really, really uh, chaotic situation, John. Here's what the mayor, Quentin Lucas, had to say. I mean, what you saw happen was why people talk about guns a lot. We had over 800 officers there, staffed, situated all around Union Station today. We had security in, in any number of places, eyes on top of buildings and beyond. And there still is a risk to people. Absolutely uh, shocking, uh, Glenn. I was... Uh, I was getting ready to pray along uh, with uh, Drew and Maggie for the Chapel of Divine Mercy yesterday afternoon when I heard Maggie asking for prayers uh, because of the shooting in Kansas City. Immediately, I turned on the TV, and sure enough, uh, it was it was just a, a shocking situation, something you just don't expect, uh, the, the day of a, of a celebration uh, for uh, the Super Bowl championship of, of the Kansas City Chiefs, their back-to-back -back, uh, titles. You just don't expect uh, that kind of a tragedy. To, to break out, and yet there it was uh, once again. Um, we have some uh, reaction from some of the witnesses who were on the scene. 
someone said oh, it was a fire and then she comes running and she's like no it's shots fired and so we started listening to her and then that's when everybody started yeah and i was just telling everybody to get down get down my wife looked at me like there was no words even spoken like we just tucked and rolled kind of deal like we just had to get out of there Glenn, and uh, what is really, really uh, sad is, is to hear uh, of a number of children uh, that were actually uh, shot with, with gunshot wounds. Uh, uh, according to uh, some of the, uh, the reports, there were as many as nine uh, children that were, were shot with uh, gunshot wounds. Uh, so it's, it's very, very, uh, very sad, very uh, upsetting. Yeah, by the way, those kids are all expected to, to make it okay uh, physically, but uh, one can imagine uh, what kind of uh, mental distress uh, will hang with them for quite a while, as well as anyone who had to kind of run for their life in that situation. Uh, you know, we can read about these things happening around the country, but uh, uh, fewer and fewer places are left unscathed by something like this. Yeah, you know, I, I was uh, I was thinking to myself, I, I remember it seems like just yesterday going uh, to the uh, the Cubs uh, World Championship um, baseball uh, a parade that had about five million people. I took my, my son, Joseph, he was, you know, eight years old at the time uh, to the parade. And, you know, you never in a million years imagined that a shooting would break out at a jubilant celebration like that. Yeah, absolutely. And nowadays, I don't know, just a matter of being aware of your surroundings. And again, security was aware. 800 law enforcement officials on hand for security. But with a crowd of a million, uh, you know, you can't can't keep an eye on everyone. And uh, what do we know about uh, the the uh, uh, the one person that actually died? Uh, a disc jockey, actually, in Kansas City, Lisa Lopez. She was uh, on KKFI Radio, hosted a program called Taste of Tejano. Also a wedding disc jockey, mobile sound system disc jockey. Mother of two was uh, the one who lost her life. And so uh, tragic news there as well, John. It is, is so sad. Um, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs released a, a statement after the shooting um, of their championship a, a parade. Uh, the organization said it's truly saddened by the senseless act of violence that occurred outside of Union Station. Their hearts go out to the victims, their families, and all of Kansas City. The Chiefs did confirm uh, that all of the players, all the coaches, staff, and their families, they're all uh, safe and accounted for. And the statement ended uh, with a thanks to the local law enforcement officers and the first responders who were on the scene to assist. And, uh, you know, a lot of those folks were literally running towards the scene while everybody's running away. Those guys are running towards the scene. Yeah. Again, first responders, hats off to them in all situations. Uh, they're the ones running toward danger as everyone else is, is running away. For sure. So we, we'll continue to, to pray for all of the victims and all of, of those families uh, uh, here this morning. Uh, the other story, uh, the House Intelligence Committee is warning about a serious national security threat. What do we know? What is the latest? Ohio Republican Mike Turner, with uh, the uh, committee taking a look at this in Congress, uh, made some information available, but everything is not yet declassified. But a, a space-based threat from Russia uh, appears on the radar, basically, for uh, U.S. security officials. Say, don't panic, nothing imminent, but it appears to be uh, satellite technology that can take out U.S. satellites. And uh, this is something that would uh, essentially, if that happened, be considered really an act of war as it would affect national security. But with so much of our communications, anything from cell technology to uh, banking to communications handled by satellite, 
uh, inability to take out another country's satellites uh, would be very, very serious. At the same time, the U.S. working on similar technology and ways to defend against something like that, too. Uh, no need to to worry <laughs> this morning? Correct. Correct. I mean, nothing, nothing imminent, but just, uh, you know, a, a country that acts as an adversary much of the time, uh, including of late, uh, definitely to be aware of, though. For sure. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on that story. Um, Meanwhile, of course, after much anticipation, we've been talking about it uh, for weeks. uh, Yesterday, finally, Ash Wednesday, uh, it came. Uh, How was your Ash Wednesday, Glenn? Oh, it was good. It was good. Uh, You know, of course, busy day on the radio and uh, heading to Mass in the evening to get ashes. And great turnout, even in the midst of a snowstorm. We had nearly seven inches of snow in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. And uh, that led to some instant penance after uh, after Mass last night, uh, going home to do a little little shoveling and a little snow blowing. And uh, first time I've had to fire that up all winter. We've had a very, very dry winter here in Minnesota with basically two one-inch snowfalls in my neighborhood so far. And uh, But about seven inches last night. And so I got home and uh, found that uh, some neighbors had worked on my sidewalks, uh, freeing me to spend a little more time on my driveway and another neighbor's driveway. And so teamwork got the job done, but uh, kind of thinking of uh, Lent, not just our own personal Catholic Olympics, but uh, being able to, to reach out and help others. Too. That's, you know, it's funny. I always think of uh, redemptive suffering as I'm sitting there in the cold, you know, scraping the snow off the car. Uh, the, the Those little annoyances that, uh, you know, we unite them to our Lord, as we talked about with uh, Bishop Hine just a moment ago. Uh, it's it's we, we can do all those little things here, uh, the, those little sacrifices during Lent. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we can we can do them with joy. I mean, uh, snow, there's still a little bit of kid that comes out, you know. Uh, I mean, it's it's a challenge for those who have to travel in it or work outside in the snow or wait for public transportation in the snow. But, uh, you know, watching it fall still is kind of cool and getting to run through it or look at neighbor kids enjoy it is uh, there's a lot of joy to be found there, too. Well, we had, we had a, a wonderful uh, Ash Wednesday Mass here at our, our gorgeous chapel here at, at our relevant radio studios yesterday. Uh, Father Simon, the main celebrant, everybody got their ashes. There were ashes all over the place. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that, you know, when we go out into the world, um, we should not be uh, ashamed of the gospel, not be ashamed to, to wear our ashes, you know, proudly. It says, I am Catholic. I follow Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you made note of uh, some doing that on TV. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm always impressed when I see, uh, you know, TV anchors, you know, like Laura Ingram. She was wearing her ashes yesterday, along with Raymond Arroyo on uh, on Fox News. And I'm thinking, you know, the, the, it takes a, a lot of boldness and courage to go on national TV uh, wearing your ashes. And, uh, and yet there she was. And I think that that speaks volumes just by wearing them. Yeah, just to be proud about that. And hey, you mentioned that beautiful brand new Relevant Radio Chapel as well. And uh, not that listeners should think it's just a, a shiny toy that we're hoarding all to ourselves, but I'm sure in the future there'll be some opportunities uh, with tours and such for uh, listeners to, to check that out on occasion in the future, as well as keep your eyes peeled and you'll have a chance to, to get a look at that as uh, several of the noontime masses will come from the brand new chapel in Lincolnshire. Looking forward to that. It is truly a gift and having our Lord in the building, that is the heart of uh, of relevant radio uh, you know from my perspective uh, the, the graces that will flow out of there uh, for all of of uh, our associates uh, is something that is uh, really really special and the fact that you know it's dedicated to our lady of guadalupe um you know she's front and center right there behind the altar along with the crucifix uh, is a beautiful thing uh, to see so stay tuned
Yeah, that's right. A good, uh, maybe a little, a uh, little nudge to figure out how to be able to watch it on the the relevant radio app or at relevantradio.com or uh, cast it to your your TV so you can uh, take a look as well as uh, of course listen on any relevant radio station as well to the the mass at noon for sure as as soon as we have the details we will uh pass it on uh, to our listeners as always uh, thanks Glenn hey sure thing John First things first, things first uh, every hour we always uh, begin in prayer, uh, giving thanks to our Lord uh, for all the, the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially uh, in the Middle East and in Ukraine, peace in our nation, especially uh, all the people affected from the tragedy at the Kansas City Chiefs Parade uh, yesterday. We pray for all of uh, those families. Uh, we pray for peace in our church and in our families as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio and my hero, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from uh, Revelation 3.20. Our Lord Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to hear his voice. He knocks on the door of our hearts and invites us to sup with him, that is, to eat his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. Christ desires a close intimacy with every single one of us. The question is, do we really take advantage of this gift of love, of his true presence, substantially present in the sacred host under the appearances of bread and wine, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist? Let's uh, begin today here early in this Lenten season by opening the door of our hearts and letting our Lord Jesus feed us with the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon during the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. I want to take a short pause when Morning Air continues. A social scientist and mother of eight and author, Catherine uh, Pakalik, uh, associate professor at the Catholic University of America, will be with us to uh, talk about making the case for large families in a modern society. So if you belong to a large family, you're going to definitely want to uh, uh, to uh, listen up. Uh, stay with us. There is much more to come here on this Thursday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. I love it. Uh, a little pink panther. 
to get us going here this morning. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby in for Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday after Ash Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. As always, you can send us an email directly if you have any thoughts or story ideas, whatever you have on your minds that you might want to share with us. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on social media on X. Our Twitter handle is uh, at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program here this morning, uh, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, this morning we're going to talk about large families. Uh, in, in a world and in a culture where we tend to see smaller families, there are still women out there that embark uh, in the adventure of having a large family. We're talking about uh, five or more kids. Uh, how are these women bucking the status quo, and why do some people still get married and have lots of children? Our next guest asked this question to women with large families and wrote her findings in her upcoming book. It's called Hannah's Children, The Women Quietly Defying the Birth Dearth. Joining us live this morning is social scientist and mother of eight, Catherine Pekalik, uh, to talk about making the case for large families in a modern society. Catherine is also associate professor at the Catholic University of America. Good morning, uh, Professor Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is great to be with you for the first time here on, on Morning Air. Thank you. Good morning. It's, it's great, yeah. Uh, Professor, you are uh, so uh, blessed to be uh, a mother of eight children. Uh, share with us a little bit about your own experience of having a large family. Oh, yes. Thank you. It's just the thing I like to talk most about is how great it has been to have so many children, to be really so truly blessed. Um, my students sometimes ask, you know, hey, heck, why did you have eight children, right? I mean, even at the Catholic University, most of my students haven't met somebody with a large family. So they say, why? And I say, well, because my first baby was just the best baby in the world. <laughs> I just thought, could I just have another one? Um, and, you know, that sort of attitude, I mean, of course, they're each unique and unrepeatable, um, but yeah, as a young mom, um, you know, I thought it would be nice to have children. And, um, but when I had my first, I thought, wait a second, I looked around and I thought, I mean, why hasn't anybody mentioned that this is kind of like the greatest thing ever? <laughs> so I thought, well, good goodness, like if you could, if God bless you with a second, why wouldn't you have a second? And I tell the students, I mean, we just kept going. So it was a great blessing. Of course, it's not something that um, everybody can have. It was a great blessing to start out young and to be blessed by so many children. But um, from the very get-go, it was just a real palpable sense that this is sort of the most worthwhile thing I could do, and um, such a gift. And uh, Professor Catherine, I use the word that you are blessed to have eight children uh, because it really, children really, really are a blessing. you know, tell us now, it had to be obviously a joint decision between you and your husband uh, to have such a, a large family. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, and I always like to under, underscore that it, it's a blessing. And, you know, you, we, we, I was, we even tell our children, we can pray for more children, but, you know, it's, it's ultimately God's decision. And we entrust the size of our family and the care of our family to God's providence. So, but yeah, with my husband, um, when we got married, I was, I was young and he was actually a widower, had lost his first wife to breast cancer. So he'd already had a, a, a family um, they were blessed with, with seven children. And so when we got married, um, you might say, well, why did my husband want to go ahead and have so many more? But, you know, he likes to put it, you know, you never appreciate the value of life as much as when you've lost 
um, someone you really deeply love and you, it just really helps you meditate on the gift of life. So he, you know, he felt strongly that, you know, heading into his second marriage, if God would bless us with children, we should, we should, we should have those children. So, so yes, it was a joint decision. Uh, professor, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever had to deal with a, a situation where you walk into, you know, a store or maybe a restaurant and, and people look at you uh, a certain way uh, because of the size of your family? Yeah, that happens all the time. And it's funny when I, when I interviewed women for this book, um, I, I asked the women the same question and, you know, you do get the range. I mean, most people, it's a quizzical look. It's, it's, why would you do that? Don't you know how that happens? You know, those sorts of things. But, um, every now and then you get something, um, very sad or maybe tragic, either something super negative about your children or something that really reveals that somebody else looking at your joy, um, you know, makes them feel bad about something. Um, so for me, the most powerful question I ever got was somebody who looked at me and looked at my, my youngest was sick, my sixth child and said, wow, I, you know, I, I guess your husband still wants you. And I thought, oh, oh, how sad, like how sad that is. You know? um, so, so yeah, you get all, all manner of strange comments when you go around in public with um, a family size that's so unusual. Yes. Well, I, I want to talk about your book in a, in a moment, um, but I want to invite our listeners here. We're going to open up the phone lines. If you come from a large family or you're a parent uh, of a large family, we would love to hear from you. We're taking your calls for a social scientist and a mother of eight uh, and author, uh, Professor Catherine Pekulik at uh, 888 and uh, what, uh, you know, prompted you uh, to decide to write your book, Hannah's Children, uh, The Women Quietly Defying the Birth Dearth? Sure. Um, so I'm a professional economist in my professional life. And um, as you just heard, I, you know, I, I had eight children and, and a sort of a raised six more. And, you know, I just thought having children was the greatest thing in the world. And as an economist, I was very interested in studying um, the demographic changes in society, we've seen a very precipitous fall in the birth rate over the last half century. And now it's to the point where people are very worried about it. And I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I mean, there are definitely people still having children. I'm one of them. And so it's kind of this realization about now six years ago, I realized there's a kind of intersection here between my personal life where I do know many, many mothers who have like large and abundant families and this sort of academic, um, secular, world of the social scientists um, and the demographers basically scratching their heads saying, we have no idea why people have so few children or how on earth we could turn this around. And so I thought, wait a second, you know, like there's a really simple idea here, which is, has anybody talked to people who are still having children? Um, I thought, hey, I might be in a good position to do that because women like me very often feel judged or you know, um, otherwise put down because they have so many children and there's no researchers out saying, hang on a second, do you have something the world needs to hear? And so that was the inspiration. Go out and talk to people and see if I can present it in a way that kind of the public um, secular demographic um, world can listen to and understand it. So that was the inspiration. And I went around about five years ago and I interviewed about 55 women all over the country, Jewish, Mormon, Catholic, evangelical, mainline Protestants, um, and kind of basically said, hey, like, 
when when did you decide to have all these children and what do you think it means um that was the, and that was the genesis of this project and so what did you find that really stands out what was the findings of of talking to all those uh, 50 uh college educated women of all different types yeah so i guess if i were to sum it up i mean this is why that book is called hannah's children um the 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 biblical Hannah in the Old Testament really seemed to kind of sum it up for me. Um, most of the women I talked to didn't want to be referred to as, you know, women, women women with large families. I mean, of course, they do have large families, but they did they really viewed their childbearing as a gift from God, a blessing, and so they didn't want to view it as something where they went out and like you know pursued all these children like they were virtuous or heroic people. They really wanted to put this in God's gift category. And so if I were to sum that up, it was like, what's the biblical Hannah like? She's somebody who children are in the value column for her. They're not in the cost column. Right. And that was like the really strong thing that stood out was this um, attitude of, of trust and confidence in God's providence. And also the conviction that God intended for us to have children, that he made this capacity in us, that it's good and that we shouldn't sort of subject it to our kind of rationalistic plans, you know, oh, you know, I don't have enough money to have another child. I don't have enough, you know, strength to have another child. But actually God provides all those things because God made our capacity to have children and it's very good. So, so yeah, what did I find? I found that actually like the, the attitudes that are very biblical, very Old Testament attitudes like the biblical Hannah, that's what all the women I talked to had in common regardless of their specific creeds. Well, it's a it's a fantastic uh, story, and uh, Nancy is joining us uh, this morning uh, from Grafton, Wisconsin. Uh, good morning, uh, Nancy. Thanks so much for being with us here on Morning Air. Uh, you're on with uh, Professor Catherine Pukulik. Oh, first of all, you know what? We didn't have any snow. It was all gone, and the law, everything was nice and looked good. And gosh darn it, last night we got all this snow, and everything is white again. But what I called to tell you was my husband and I had 14 children. and uh, God uh, love you. Well, yeah. and, and I got to tell you, we practiced a lot, but we never learned how to make twins. They're all single birth. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Your thoughts, uh, did you run across anybody uh, in your travels there across the country with that many kids? I did. I did. Um, I think 15 was the number, the, the, the biggest number that we encountered. Um, and just so much happiness and so much joy. Um, I did have a couple with 12 or 10 um, children, and they were similarly like just so in love with their children and their families. Well, I appreciate uh, sharing with us, uh, Nancy. Thanks so much for the call. You know, the, the, uh, the very uh, title of your book uh, uses the phrase uh, birth dearth. For those who have never heard that before, what exactly does that mean? So the birth dearth, yeah, it means a lack of birth. It's actually, um, I'm referring to the title of a, a book in the late 1980s written by a man named Ben Wattenberg. And Ben Wattenberg was um, uh, a Jewish scholar who at the time, um, you know, raised in Brooklyn, who's kind of an academic outsider to the academy. And in a time when everybody was shouting, uh, the the world's population is going to explode. Ben Wattenberg said, you know what? I've been looking at the at the close numbers on how many children people are have, having. And he said, we are going to be facing not a population explosion, but a dearth of births. And so that's what we're facing now. So all the countries around the world are seeing shrinking populations now because women and men are not having enough children to sustain our populations. And that's the birth dearth, right? 
Uh, a final uh, word of encouragement is, uh, to moms that are sitting out there listening uh, to you uh, uh, sharing about your, your book. You are doing the most important work in the world. I mean, in God's eyes, but also in the eyes of society, you are doing the future of humanity. And this is a good news. It's a gospel that as Christians and Catholics, we just need to be so proud to share. Um, and you have something that can't be repeated. It can't be produced by other people. It's like a real wealth. Um, so just to be encouraged and to know that that is so important and so loved. Well, looking forward to, to your book. It's called Hannah's Children, the Women Quietly Defying the Birth Dearth. Uh, it's, it's not out yet. It'll be coming out soon. Uh, where can our listeners pre-order and perhaps learn more about it? Yeah, the book is on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and any place that you buy books. It's um, going to ship in just a couple of weeks on St. Joseph's Day. So Amazon is a good place to find it. Well, uh, Professor Catherine, you are blessed, I may uh, say once again. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, sharing your story and your book. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Many blessings to you. Social scientist and mother of eight, Catherine Pakalik, the associate professor at the Catholic University of America. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will join us to talk about making a spiritual retreat during this Lent. So if you want to be part of our conversation, it's 888-914-9149, and you can chime in with your thoughts as well. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch on this Thursday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. A very familiar hymn here uh, during the Lenten season. Uh, welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby in for Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday after Ash Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. I'm so glad that you can make us a part of your morning uh, to uh, talk about uh, doing the best that we can during these 40 days of Lent. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program, uh, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149. Now, yesterday with Ash Wednesday, we began officially the season of Lent. And there are three traditional practices that are associated uh, with uh, Lent. And we're talking about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, in terms of prayer, many people try to go to Mass more often, uh, perhaps even go to a daily Mass uh, during the Lenten season. Others add a particular devotion. Uh, there's all kinds of daily reflection books that uh, can help people focus on growing in their relationship with our Lord Jesus, which is uh, really the, the goal of prayer. But uh, what about making a spiritual retreat? Uh, joining us uh, live this morning is our spiritual director and longtime retreat director, Father James Kabicki, to talk about uh, making a spiritual retreat uh, during this Lenten season. Uh, Father Kabicki uh, is a Jesuit priest, uh, retreat and spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of 
Milwaukee and a relevant radio contributor with his daily prayer reflections, as well as a longtime contributor to this program, to Morning Air. Good morning, Father Kabicki. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a joy to be with you here at uh, the beginning of Lent. Well, thank you, John. Good to be with you and all our listeners as well. And and to talk about uh, this very important practice of uh, our Lenten season, which is to engage in uh, prayer, not just necessarily to uh, add more devotions, but to go deeper in our prayer lives. And so uh, one of the ways we can do that, of course, is to make a retreat, a spiritual retreat. Uh, we can do that on our own. We can go to a, a quiet place and uh, bring some spiritual books along to guide us in a few days of quiet and reflection. Or we can go to a retreat house where they have re- uh, a spiritual retreat organized for us over the weekend. Um, and in some cases, uh, I like to say this, that uh, in some cases when we're not able to get away, the retreat may come to us. It may come to our parish. And so uh, this uh, Lent, I'm going to be giving a, a couple parish missions in uh, the relevant radio listening area. I'll be in the Minneapolis area uh, this coming weekend and then uh, next Monday, uh, a Tuesday, Wednesday at St. Charles Borromeo Parish in the Minneapolis area. And in uh, on March 3rd to the 5th, I'm going to be at St. Bernadette's in West Lake, Ohio, which is just outside of Cleveland, uh, leading a parish mission. So there are several different ways of, of making a retreat uh, during the Lenten season. And even the Pope, you know, makes a, a retreat. Normally, he would make it with the Roman Curia. But uh, since nine, since two. 2020, uh, Pope Francis has uh, been making a retreat on his own and encouraging the Roman Curia to do the same. And in fact, last year he gave um, the Roman Curia, his staff, a spiritual book to guide them during their retreat. So um, there are many ways of of making a retreat, and uh, even the Pope makes a retreat during the Lenten season. Just kind of big picture, if you could talk about just the the overall benefits uh, of making uh, a spiritual retreat uh, during uh, this Lenten season, during uh, this, like I like to call it, the spring training where we're supposed to go back to the basics of our faith. (laughs) Oh, that's a good way of putting it, spring training. I I like to use the expression, this is our uh, spring spiritual house cleaning Um, that, you know, our house can get very cluttered and dusty over the winter. Well, our spiritual houses also during the course of the year can get very cluttered with many things that distract us from God. And so spiritual uh, house cleaning, a retreat, uh, and prayer during Lent helps us to focus on what's most important. We began that yesterday with uh, the ashes, which remind us that um, we don't have forever uh, we, our lives are here on earth are limited. And so we want to make the most of the time that we have and use it in order to grow in our love for God and love for our neighbor. And so during uh, a time of Lent, uh, besides the daily prayer that we may uh, include in our Lenten practices, I think a spiritual retreat is a way that we can step back from the busyness of our lives and focus on what's most important, to remind ourselves that uh, we're here on earth to learn 
uh, how to live in heaven and to prepare for heaven. And so um, when we engage in spiritual practices and in, in a, a spiritual retreat during Lent, it's it's a way that we can really jumpstart our spiritual lives or um, focus them, get rid of the distractions by going to a quiet place and uh, engaging in uh, spiritual exercises or prayers that help us to focus on what's most important in our lives. Want to open up the the phone lines and uh, invite our listeners. Uh, uh, if you're in the habit of making an annual a spiritual retreat, uh, I would love to to hear from you. And maybe you can share with us uh, some of the books or the devotionals that you uh, typically will be using uh, during uh, this uh, Lenten season. Uh, again, we're taking your calls uh, for our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, at triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine any questions that you may have about uh, making a spiritual retreat uh, during a Lent uh, Father Kabicki a, a moment ago you, you you talked about Pope Francis a, f- a fellow Jesuit uh, who, who makes an annual retreat mm-hmm. um, I, I, I gotta believe that uh, uh, that uh, Saint Ignatius himself has been a, a big influence on the Holy Father who serves as an example for all of us uh, you know with uh, his uh, spiritual exercises. That's right. You know, St. Ignatius is the patron saint of all spiritual exercises or uh, uh, retreats. And it's the reason for that is because in the 1500s, after he experienced a profound conversion while reading the lives of the saints, he went away to a cave near Barcelona, Spain. And uh, during that time, he engaged in um, long periods of prayer and meeting with a Benedictine monk in a nearby monastery. And as a result of his experience, his own personal spiritual experience, he wrote down uh, different exercises or methods of praying, uh, different meditations, and this became uh, what's known as the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And every Jesuit uh, is formed in these spiritual exercises. We make a 30-day retreat based on those spiritual exercises twice in our Jesuit lives. And so that's what Pope Francis has done. And uh, knowing the importance of uh, having an annual retreat, he is following up on this tradition that Pope Pius XI started back in 1925 of of going away and and having a retreat and it, it's a good example to us and of course you know the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius it's not really a book that you want to get and and read it's it's a book that you actually uh, do in other words it's a how to book and so what if one were to get a copy of the spiritual exercises and make a retreat with it basically uh you don't read it straight through you read one of the exercises and then follow his points for meditation you know and he'll give points like um before you begin you know um make uh an act of faith and love for God saying, you know, that you want this period of prayer to be for his glory. Uh, and uh, then you enter into the prayer and he has different um, exercises, meditations that focuses, focus us, focus us on what's most important. You know, why God made us, 
what we what our purpose and goal in life is how sin frustrates that purpose but jesus comes to save us and then there's a a long series of reflections on the life of jesus and his call to each one of us to follow him more closely so that's a basic outline of uh the retreat that pope francis will be making uh this year following the spiritual exercises of saint ignatius well, Father Kabiki, I found it very uh, interesting that uh, Pope Francis uh, says that uh, a Christian retreat is very different from a wellness holiday. Uh, I, I think the, the Holy Father is making a very interesting point there. <laughs> yes, and, and you know, that's a, a good point that can be expanded upon when we think about Lent. You know, a lot of times people approach Lent with uh, almost like a New Year's resolution. Well, during this Lent, I'm going to give up desserts or I'm going to lose 10, 20 pounds. And uh, that's all very nice. It's it's good to be healthy, but the focus can't be on ourselves, you know, and a wellness retreat is focused on myself. In a spiritual retreat, the focus should be on God and uh, God's love for me and my response to that love. Uh, how can my own love for God be demonstrated better in my daily life? So uh, I, I like the way Pope Francis put it that, you know, it's not a, a wellness retreat, nor is this time of Lent basically uh, a time of physical wellness, though we should always be concerned about that. It's more uh, the idea of spiritual wellness. How is my relationship with God going these days? Uh, how am I uh, learning to love him um, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love my neighbor as myself, the two great commandments that Jesus gave us in the gospel. And Father Kabicki, if for whatever reason one just can't get away to uh, an actual physical uh, spiritual retreat uh, in in some location, just your schedule just doesn't permit it. Uh, is there anything you can do on your own at home? Uh, you know, and make kind of a at home spiritual retreat to get closer to our Lord. Well, that's a great question, John. And, you know, because many people are busy or they may uh, contact a retreat house and, you know, the particular weekend retreat is already full and they can't uh, get in. Um, so could one make a retreat at home? And the answer is definitely, you know, one of the adaptations of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius was to um, adapt them to busy people's lives and to make what um, is normally done as a 30-day retreat or an eight-day retreat or a weekend retreat where one goes away to make the spiritual exercises over a period of seven months, maybe nine months, in, and to um, commit to praying an hour a day with those spiritual exercises. I would say for, for the average person who cannot get away to make a retreat, um, if you don't have a particular prayer habit yet, or if you do, you know, if it's maybe 10 or 15 minutes in the morning or maybe at the end of the day, to add 15 or 20 minutes or a half hour to your prayer routine during this season of Lent and to get a, a spiritual book. Um, um, there are uh, some books that guide a person through the spiritual exercises that help a person 
um, make these exercises and and to read, you know, a couple pages a day and then to reflect on those. Uh, I think this is a good way to make a retreat at home. And, you know, if, if our listeners have any suggestions for spiritual books that have helped them and that they would recommend to all of us uh, to use in that kind of a retreat, uh, I'd love to hear. Well, Father Kabicki, uh, as a retreat director yourself, uh, I'm sure you have witnessed with your own eyes uh, some of uh, the conversions and and changes that people have had from going to a retreat. Can you share briefly just your own experience? Oh, very much so. You know, um, just uh, last month in January, I was giving uh, a retreat from Thursday night to Sunday evening in uh, at a place called DeMontreville. It's in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, just outside St. Paul. And, you know, for me, it is such a privilege to be with uh, 60, 70 uh, people on a retreat and uh, for them to come in and talk about what's going on in their lives and to have them um, reflect on the uh, talks that I have have are giving to them during the retreat and and to hear them say you know how helpful it is for them to hear um, what Saint Ignatius invites people to do with his spiritual exercises you know I think that's one of the great uh, joys of being a priest is uh, being able to hear how God is present and at work in other people's lives. Um, it, you know, it, it's one of the things that maybe uh, people don't share a lot about with, with even their spouses. But um, to come away on a retreat and to be a, a, a priest uh, uh, listening to people in individual conferences, uh, it's certainly uh, builds my faith up to hear them talk about how the love of God has led them to um, uh, commit themselves to letting go of sin and to uh, going to the sacraments more regularly and um, just how God has touched them in in their lives over the years by making an annual retreat. Father Kabicki, uh, final uh, 30 seconds, uh, just y- your, your thoughts uh, for our listeners here on this uh, second day of Lent. Well, I pray for all our listeners. You know, I think it's it's so important uh, as as we enter into the the t- season of fasting uh, that we really do it in a prayerful way. Jesus combined prayer and fasting, and so uh, the important thing is that we do this retreat to grow spiritually, but also to offer our sacrifices for particular people and intentions. Because in the end, it's it's not about us. It's about us as the body of Christ, part of the communion of saints in the making right here on earth. So as we conclude our segment here, let me offer a blessing to all our listeners. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As always, thanks so much, uh, Father Kabicki. Really appreciate you being with us. Father James Kabicki, a retreat director and the spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. It's now time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. And one more thought left from the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy's victory. Our story today from Amanda Goodman. It wasn't about Taylor Swift being at the game. It wasn't about Usher's halftime show. It was about this guy. I looked at my son last night and said, do you understand what what that guy has done? 
When he was in high school, some college coaches said he was below average in height. His arm strength and accuracy were meh. He was dead last in the NFL draft, getting dubbed Mr. Irrelevance. Lowest paid among NFL starting quarterbacks last year, though he took his team to the NFC Championship, which they probably would have won had he not gotten hurt. This year, playing in the Super Bowl. This is why you never let anyone define you. This is why you never give up. This is why when God is for us, no one can be against us. Thank you, Brock, for being a role model, not with your words, but with your actions. Thank you for showing all of us that others' opinions are just noise. Thank you for being steadfast in your belief that even when things aren't going our way, God is good all the time. You won the night, number 13. You won just by being out there. 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not judge from his appearance or from his lofty stature, because I have rejected him. God does not see as a mortal who sees the appearance. The Lord looks into the heart. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, What a powerful story corner and a reminder to never give up, uh, like uh, the 49ers uh, QB, Brock Purdy. All this Lent, we want to invite you to pray and watch the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie at 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Thursday, February 15, 2024 edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, producer Gabby Burke, uh, Miranda Senicedos, and our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Friday on the next morning air. The Patrick Madrid show is straight ahead.